So I know nobody uses those phrases, but that is what it is. So I joked the other day, I didn't know if Texas A&M was gonna occur a luxury tax, you know, and um, how much they paid for their signing class. No spit on your mind. So you stacked t top ten classes together now for four years in a row. I don't think there was ever even two before that. So do you kind of consider it a slap in the face or whatever when there's these thoughts out there that Very. it's because a lot of money is being spent and just your thoughts? Here's what I'm going to say, and this is point blank. This is point blank to the – because here, here's, here's my problem. There is no $30 million fund. There is no $5 million. There is no 10 This is garbage, okay? And it does. It pisses me off that people – and here, it comes from a site called Bro Bible by a guy named Slice Bread. Then everybody runs with it. So it's written on the internet, it's gospel. How irresponsible is that? It's, and then we gripe about the transfer portal, and you take you guys take more than everybody. What's about that? And what goes on? The hypocrisy is a joke. It's an absolute joke, and it's insulting to, uh, to our staff, how hard we work, to how we do things. It's insulting to Texas A&M, because there ain't a better place to go to school and play ball. We don't like it, we're coming on, get used to it. All right? We ain't going nowhere. It, it, it's, it's an absolute joke that people put the hard work in and do it. It's irresponsible, but it's funny when they get it, it's all okay. Ball games are changing, man. And it ain't because of NIL and what goes on. It's pretty irresponsible of all of them. They're clowns. Go next If they got a problem with it, come see me. I ain't a hard guy to find. We'll be in some meetings, you can say anything you want. We can do anything you want. I ain't got no problem with it. I promise you that shit. Oh, welcome in to the latest episode of that SEC podcast. I'm your host, Michael Braddon. I go by SEC Mike on Twitter. And wow, is it great to be back. Wish I was joined by Cousin Shane, but I think that man is uh, still trying to find his way back from Orlando. If you missed it before, you're wondering why the heck have you not had a podcast in the last week? Cousin Shane and I took family, big old family trip down to Orlando. And, man, it was a great, great time. We were there from Sunday to Friday. And probably the highlight of the trip, aside from uh, late night poker games with Cousin Shane and the family, i just give you a little indication of what it's like to go vacation with Cousin Shane, something you probably have all wanted to do. Maybe... <laughs> Maybe one day we'll get a group vacation down somewhere. But we, so we went to Epcot. This was Shane's idea. Never been down to Epcot. He said it was his favorite park down there in Orlando. And if you have never been, it was my first time. So I didn't know what I was walking into. But they have regions all across the park. It's supposed to be different countries. They have different food, different beverages, adult beverages, of course, from all across the world. That's what it's supposed to be. And Cousin Shane's bright idea, let's stop in every country, have a drink, have some food. What a day it'll be. And three or four countries in, I was done. While Cousin Shane and some of the other family, man, they kept going strong all throughout Epcot. And we had to carry people out of there, no joke. And probably the funniest thing, I'll throw this up on the YouTube. We don't plug the YouTube enough, I don't think, on the podcast. But Cousin Shane... <laughs> Now, keep in mind, bald guy, not wearing a hat, totally unprepared, out of shape, walking all across. It, it's like two miles, this this tour across Epcot. He had to buy him a little straw hat 
that uh, you'd see <laughs> a person from Asia wear it. This is uh, Cousin Shane strapping that bad boy on to save himself from the sun. And like I said, this was on Wednesday. I didn't see him Thursday or Friday because he was so hungover from Wednesday's activities. I heard he went to bed around 3.30 on Thursday, the day after. Uh, the man did not drink himself enough waters. Hopefully, that little straw hat, it helped a little bit, but uh, it, it did not get the job done. So, hey, lesson to all you kids out there, if you're going to go up, well, I shouldn't say that, kids, young adults, if you're going to have yourself a, a day like Cousin Shane at Epcot, maybe at a tailgate or something, mix in a water here or there. Otherwise, you be at you could potentially be out of commission for several days. Take that from Cousin Shane. But we're glad to be back, back on your airwaves, give you guys something to listen to on your commute to work. And, you know, we missed quite a bit, obviously, so I want to do the best we can recapping it all, but we got a bombshell here with this uh, Brian Harson Auburn news. I mean, we've been waiting for this guy to get fired for two or three days now. Could be coming at any moment here. I got the computer up just in case it happens live during the show. I mean, it's that bad. So we got to start with that. We're going to get into a little bit of a rundown of National Signing Day. It was kind of a, a ho-hum day for most of the schools in the SEC. But Texas A&M, Ole Miss, Lane Kiffin, Jimbo Fisher going back and forth. We're going to feature that as well. And here's what we're going to do, because I don't want this to be a two-hour recap of the last week. We're just going to be going around the league all the rest of the week. I'm going to try to get some great guests lined up to because we had a number of press conferences. So basically a treasure trove of content here this week for the pod. So we're going to be breaking that down all week. But again, like I said, we got to start on the planes where, man, it, it's hard to believe this is where we're at. One season, I know it was a poor season, six and seven, started out strong. We're going into November, and Auburn's controlling its own destiny in the SEC West. But since that time, I mean, it has just been just a horror show there. And this is a program that, uh, you know, highs and lows, they have experienced some drama. I cannot recall a time more drama than what they got right now on the plains. Brian Harson essentially dangling in here in the wind day after day after day. And my man's in Mexico on vacation. I don't even know where to start with this thing, but I, I just, I'm just i going to go to offensive coordinator Austin Davis, the guy they hired from the Seattle Seahawks just a few weeks after being on the job. Remember, he didn't come till the Seahawks season ended in uh, early January. January 9th, to be specific, was the last Seattle game of the season. He's out already. Of course, uh, everyone knows that by now, but couple weeks on the job, one recruiting weekend, one major recruiting weekend before National Signing Day, and Auburn's offensive coordinator is out the door. That will leave Brian Harson with five coordinators. If he's able to make a coordinator hire to replace his offensive coordinator, Austin Davis, five coordinators in 14 months on the job. I've never – don't think I've ever seen that uh, at any juncture in an SEC coach's career but uh you know his first 14 months on the job just incredible of course uh, Derek Mason left for Oklahoma State Mike Bobo got fired and they promoted from within to, to replace Mason they're gonna likely gonna have to promote from within like I said even if he gets the opportunity to 
hire an offensive coordinator. But the way things are looking, it looks like Brian Har- Harson is going to be out the door. So he's probably not going to be making that fifth coordinator hire by all indication. But, you know, I'm sure Auburn fans, you know the inner workings of your program. But, you know, for the rest of the audience around the SEC wondering, how in the hell did this happen so quickly? How is Brian Harson – and if you're going to fire the guy, why didn't you fire him right at the end of the season? Why – I mean, it, it has been a string of embarrassment. You know, there's – the number 25 players in the transfer portal has been cited time and time again. I believe the real number is 19. Not that that's much better, but they've got five additions via the transfer portal, 19 defections. Uh, Javarius Johnson, one of the top receivers – I think he was third or fourth on the team. They have they have lost three of the five. Johnson to the transfer portal. Kobe Hudson, of course, to the transfer portal, got booted from the team. Demarius Robinson off to the NFL. So that's those players, those three combined for 100 catches, 1,343 yards, 10 touchdowns. I mean, your receiving core is totally reworked. We know Bo Nix off to Oregon. I mean, it is just a mess down there. But like I said, so let's take this thing back to the beginning to maybe the fans don't understand why there's so much drama involved here with Coach Harson, And it all goes back to his hiring. And, you know, there was so much speculation when Gus was shown the door. Hell, they were trying to get rid of Gus for three or four years there. And when I say they, I'm talking about the boosters. And their plan was to promote defensive coordinator Kevin Steele to become the head coach. Obviously, that didn't happen. And, you know, this is just such a tricky situation here at Auburn. It's very unique where we got an AD and Alan Green and we've got a president, Jay Googe, on his way out just this week. They've already announced the replacement for the Auburn president. And that's going to be so Googe is in there till May. But so we got an outgoing president. The AD's got one foot out the door. He's not very popular. He's doing not what the boosters want. Had he done what the boosters wanted, Kevin Steele would be your head coach right now. He did the opposite. He hired a a guy from out west in Boise, Boise bred, Boise coach, played at Boise, Brian Harson. I mean, the fit from day one was terrible, but I feel like you got to give this guy a chance. And, man, there's a lot more to say about this, but, it, I mean, it's clear as day. The, guy, the people behind the scenes did not want Brian Harson are now trying to push him out the door and this has just turned into such an ugly ugly feud and you know before we even get to that let's get to this uh, because I don't think we addressed this when it happened but uh, Brent Venables the Oklahoma coach who longtime Clemson defensive coordinator before Brian Harson got the job Venables was offered the position uh, that's what he claims here Let's. This is a quick clip from Oklahoma introductory press conference of uh, Brent Venables. Kind of give you a little window into what I'm talking about here. Father and I, about a month ago, were laying up in her bed and we're saying prayers. And I'm always telling you to dream big, right? Don't put limitations on yourself. Don't let somebody tell you that you can't accomplish something. So she says, well, Dad, why didn't you take the Auburn job last year? I had made reference that I was a little bit nervous. I didn't. I really didn't think we had the alignment there that, that we have here. So why isn't Venables, who was a coveted, coveted coordinator, many 
head coaching opportunities during his time at Clemson, given uh, you know the multiple national titles, multiple ACC titles under uh, the Tigers, under the uh, Dabo Sweeney and Brent Venables era. He's not at Auburn because the alignment's not there. Same thing had been said by Billy Napier. Allegedly said, you know, I offered the job same time at this uh, same time before Brian Harson. He said, I don't know who in the hell my boss is going to be there. And that's what he's talking about. Is it Alan Green? Is it the AD? Is it the president, Jay Gouge? Is it these boosters that uh, are writing all the checks and, and making decisions down there? It certainly seems like at this point in time, it is uh, the boosters that are running the show down there. And, you know, they're letting it be known that, that uh, if Brian Harson's fired after one year, it, it's because these boosters got more control than they really should have. And because at the end of the day, while there's boosters all across the SEC, you think the boosters are telling Nick Saban what to do? You think they're telling Kirby Smart what to do? I would even go so far as to say, you know, guys like uh, Brian Kelly, who just got there, Billy Napier at Florida, uh, go on and on and on. I mean, you, you've got to, to be behind your head coach. And that is something that uh, Brian Harson. You know, indicated he he spoke with uh, ESPN, and I yeah, I think the most damning quote: "Let the head coach be the head coach and support him." That's what it takes to be a championship program. And he is specifically referencing these power brokers behind the scenes that he has allegedly turned his back on. He's not letting them make decisions, not letting them near the program. Which you know you can argue what is their place after giving all this money, but you know that that's basically boils down to what is happening here and now after you know all these coordinators changing all these players hitting the transfer portal this week the tail end of last week heading into the weekend we've got all these allegations rumors of an affair with uh you know a member of uh the program that uh, brian harson runs and i'll just go out and say i i think that's I think it's terrible that people put that shit out there. And then first of all, that they, that they just, they find this girl. I'm not going to say her name or anything. Cause I think it's, I think it's incredibly wrong and they're just tweeting it out. Uh, here's pictures of her. He followed her, followed Brian Harson from Boise. There's your evidence. That's, that's all we need. You know, all across the SEC coaches hire people that, uh, from their previous institution, Josh Heupel hired several people from Central Florida's staff. Clark Lee at Vanderbilt brought several people from Notre Dame. And I'm talking men and women here from, from both of these sides. Uh, Brian Kelly's bringing people from Notre Dame. Shane Beamer has brought people together from his stops. I mean, just because you're bringing someone from a previous institution, you're going from Boise to Auburn. I don't care if you're the head coach or you're the lowest, you know, a secretary or a football administration or or football recruiting department, whatever department you're in, you are getting an automatic promotion going from Boise, who, you know, all due respect, I know they're a good G5 program, but you get to go to the SEC, come to the SEC West, one of the best programs in the country. That is a major pay bump. It's better on your resume. That gets your foot in the door with a lot more windows. So, I mean, it's just incredible that the shit that people run with, with no evidence, and I'll tell you right now, because this was had, this leaked, I don't know, Thursday, Friday, whatever it was. Here I am recording on Sunday evening. If this was true, Brian Harson's ass would be gone immediately because you can't be 
having affairs with people that you employ. We we all know that with old Bobby Petrino. And I mean, I don't know. It just pisses me off that shit like that gets out. And more importantly, that it spreads like wildfire without uh, any shred of uh, evidence. So that pissed me off. But then after that, then there's allegations that is abusive towards the player. And then after that, at, there was another outlet that says, basically said he's a racist and he prefers to play the white players. And this was all in the same day that all this came out. And to me, I mean, it kind of screams of a hit job. And I'm not saying, he, you know, I'm not sitting here saying that uh, Brian Harson is the best guy. Certainly seems like he's got real issues with coaches, but, you know, he seems like a very difficult guy to work with. Here, again, I'm saying it, five coordinators here in 14 months, that's Tells me he's incredibly difficult to work with. 19 players in the portal. It It's a culture change. And some players don't like him. And it, it really got started with Lee Hunter, defensive lineman, one of the top prospects signed in Brian Harson's first class, left the program, transferred to UCF to, of course, reunite with Gus Malzahn. Says, you know, I love, I love Auburn. I always wanted to play for Auburn, but I chose to leave Auburn because we got treated like we wasn't good enough and like dogs. I mean, that's a direct quote from Lee Hunter. So obviously that's terrible. Defensive back Smoke Monday, one of, arguably your best player on the team last year, says, love Auburn to death, but this is real and true. And I was at Auburn for four years and I never felt like how I felt this past season. Harson truly don't understand kids that come from nothing. And that was, uh, you know, just some of them. They, they had a Twitter spaces where they were kind of calling the guy out. But at the same time, they both turned around and said, you know, this is a, he's a very good coach. He's just, his people skills is horrible. And that's what he needs to work on. And it's not just players calling Brian Harson out because we got players like Chandler Wooten who said, came out in Brian Harson's defense. So we don't need a best friend. We need a coach. And that's what we had in Brian Harson. Derek Hall, one of the best defensive linemen on Auburn last year. Don't believe the things you see. Coach Harson works harder than no other man to put this program in the best position to be successful, point blank, period. We are behind him 100%, no matter what's being said. Great man of character who loves this team. Stop the BS. Tight end John Samuel Shanker. Listen and listen carefully. Coach Harson is my football coach. He is the leader I want to have in my corner. If you have a problem with his discipline, toughness, and conviction that he instills in his players, then you get your entitled, selfish, and soft tail out of this program. And then how about this? Offensive lineman Nick Brahms, a super senior, decided to come back to play for Brian Harson next season. He's calling out the Board of Trustees. I've never seen anything like this. Auburn, Board of Trustees and President Gouge, I'm inviting you to speak with the players, leaders, the player leaders on this team. Your decision will impact us and this program for years to come. We have valuable insight as we spend every day with Coach Harson and his staff. We love Auburn, just like all of you. So, I mean, you're getting two sides of the story here. What's right? What's wrong? Everyone has their own opinions and their own experiences. So, again, I'm not saying that uh, Brian Harson's any kind of saint here, but clearly, I mean, these are not just white players defending him either. So, I mean, to me, that says the racism thing's out the door, verbally abusive. I mean, what does that really even mean when you're installing a culture change? You know, he's going to run guys off, players that don't buy in. That happens across college football. Uh, there's players 
hell, we've seen players at Georgia, I'm not trying to throw Kirby into this, but hell, they just won the national championship. They've had eight or nine guys leave the team. I mean, this, this happens everywhere. So I don't know if I'm buying, you know, that he's abusive towards the players. And again, the, the, the affair thing I think is a, is a damn joke because his ass would be gone immediately if there was any truth to that. And hell, maybe there is, and maybe I'll look like a fool, but they're not keeping this guy on for days on end if uh, any of these allegations of, of, of an affair with an employee are valid and there's any proof. He would be gone immediately because what they're trying to do is fire him for cause because they owe him, if they don't have cause, $18.3 million. And they just paid Gus and his staff some absurd, like 50-something million to get them out and to hire Brian Harson and his staff. So, man, just a tangled, tangled web down here at Auburn. And uh, all indications are that uh, Brian Harson is not going to be returning. I mean, it's – I don't know how you could come back from something like this. Now, there's all there's other allegations that he's blowing off, you know, charity golf events with, uh, with Bo Jackson, of course, a legend down there. He's blowing off recruiting events which uh, is in the state of Georgia, which is going to be Auburn's bread and butter the entire time that, uh, you know, for any coach down there at Auburn, they've got to recruit the state of Georgia as hard as they recruit Alabama, if not harder. And, you know, I guess the same could be said for Florida. Those are the three core states there for a coach. So it is kind of baffling to see Brian Harson not kind of go all in on recruiting, but is that more – because, hell, Auburn just got the number 18 class. That's that's decent. That's not decent for SEC, but for a lot of teams in the country, they hell, they'd take 18 in a heartbeat. But the problem is your two arch rivals here, Alabama and Georgia, are led by two coaches that live and breathe recruiting, and it consumes their life. And if you're not in that level, you're going to look like a poor recruiter. And, you know, I think, Recruiting certainly is an issue. That's got to get better along with the the people skills, along with having coaches. You know, there's allegations that, uh, you know, apparently if he's got an issue with the player, he just sends an assistant to to maybe cut him or release him. And you can't have it that way either because if you're the leader of the Auburn football program, you have to be the one. You're making these tough calls. you got to be man enough to face these players and say, hey, you need to go because this ain't working out. Uh, there was another allegation that uh, Trus- Tyrone Truesdale, I believe is his name, a senior defensive lineman, went to Brian Harson and asked for a break. This is, I think it was, was during fall camp. And he said, sure, I'll give you the longest break you ever had. You're, you're gone. You cut from the team. So, again, this, this it's a mix of messages we're getting. Who knows if that's really true? I think that came out of the uh, Twitter spaces with the players. So, they would have a very good indication of what happened as long as, uh, you know, they're speaking the truth there. But it's just wild. It's wild to see. And this story is uh, not going anywhere anytime soon. You got the president of the school came out here on, I believe this was on Friday. He said an appropriate decision will be made at the right time. And here we are days later. No decision has been made. And we got spring practice here starting up in a couple weeks. So. And apparently, to turn that around, so they've got an opening at offensive coordinator. I don't believe uh, Harson's got the green light to hire anybody. And he doesn't, I don't know if he knew the salary or anything he could give his previous 
coordinator hires. So that's maybe why we're seeing promotions from within, uh, which we may have to see here at offensive coordinator as well. So just a just a wild, wild situation on the plains. And as we sit here Sunday evening, I'm recording this nine o'clock at night. I do not think that uh, Brian Harson is going to be brought back, but he, it doesn't sound like he's willing to quit. It, it sounds like they're trying to make him quit. And I don't think he's going to do that either. So I think that's why we're at this standstill with days and days and days of speculation that he's gone. He's, he's not coming back. But again, how do you come back from something like this when they don't, the powers that be, whether they should be the powers or be or not, the guy that hired you is not the powers that be. The president who, Googe, President Googe is the one that ultimately will decide if Brian Harson stays or goes. He is one foot out the door as well. His final day is going to be here in May. So, I mean, that adds more intrigue. to the, Does he want a coaching decision before he leaves? I mean, so much going on here. But, hey, we'll keep you posted. And, uh, hell, if Brian Harson gets fired during this show, I'll definitely, I'll definitely let the audience know. But, so that's just a recap of just the messy, messy situation Auburn finds itself in, and uh, it just it doesn't look good for Brian Harson at this point. And hey, maybe maybe more revelations will come out, and maybe that's what they're trying to dig into at this point in time. But I don't know. It's it's Auburn being Auburn. It's uh, it's too many cooks in the kitchen, and I don't think at the end of the day, I think this is a bad look for everybody involved. And I, I certainly, you know, I've heard the names being thrown out there for who will come to Auburn next, but I don't even know if they will want to come given uh, everything we've seen on the, unless we get some alignment here, which going back to Brent Venables, Billy Napier, that was lacking down here. And maybe that's why they had to hire a guy like Brian Harson, who did a good job at Boise. But when this hire was made, not didn't necessarily rally the fans behind this and I, I think we're seeing this just a year later many fans still not sold on their head coach all right so the big event we missed while away national signing day if we can call that a big event these days not so much but uh, we did have four big announcements here on signing day five-star texas linebacker harold perkins former Texas A&M commit makes his pledge LSU Brian Kelly and company gets their first five-star signee in Baton Rouge that's huge rated number two linebacker in the country many people have Perkins as the number one linebacker prospect in the country look for him to contribute immediately and uh, he picked LSU over A&M and Florida so hey that's even sweeter if you're an LSU fan to get uh, arguably the top linebacker prospect in the country, and a credit to to Brian Kelly and company to, to come in here and quickly impress a young man of that caliber. He's originally from Louisiana. I know he said he's a Texas linebacker, but you know a pool to play in the state he's from. I certainly think that helped. But hey, don't cry for the Aggies because they landed five-star Florida defensive lineman Shamar Stewart, number three defensive lineman in the country. A really really big prospect that uh, he's got an elite elite combination of size and strength and speed given uh, his size at at that defensive line 
position. He picked Texas A&M over Georgia and Miami. So that was a hell of a win there for Jimbo and company. But they weren't done yet because they also added four-star Louisiana defensive back Jacoby Matthew, the number two safety prospect in the country. So, hey, you're landing some elite, elite talent. A&M already had the number one recruiting class. Now it's officially the best recruiting class at least ranking-wise, of the recruiting era. So, hell of a job there. We're going to get down to some more of that here in just a moment. And then last but not least, the other National Signing Day big announcement here. Four-star Georgia defensive lineman Christian Miller, number 14 defensive lineman in the country, staying home, going to play for Kirby Smart and the Bulldogs. So, those were the kind of the big announcements. There were others, but, you know, those are the truly – impact ones and now that uh, national signing day has come and gone just a quick recap here of the sec recruiting rankings of course texas a&m number one signed seven five-star prospects that's the most in the country alabama the number two recruiting class in the country they signed three five-stars georgia number three recruiting class in the country five five-stars more than alabama right there then we take a little bit of a dive here, but again, Texas A&M, Alabama, Georgia, one, two, three class in the country. LSU, how about that? Number 12 took a big jump after landing Perkins there. Kentucky, hell of a class. Number 13 overall. Missouri, number 14. That's outstanding for Eli Drinkwitz and company. 16, Tennessee, Josh Heupel and company showing some recruiting chops there. 18, the Auburn Tigers. 19, Florida Gators, what a hell of a job Billy Napier and company did after, you know, only having a, a couple weeks to work on this recruiting class. Number 24, Ole Miss. Number 26, South Carolina. 27, Mississippi State. 28, Arkansas. And 32, Vanderbilt. And again, these are just the high school and junior college signees. This does not take into account the transfer rankings added on to that so we'll we'll probably do that in a later episode but just wanted to give a, a recap of where things stood in the SEC now that the early signing period of course and national signing day have come and gone that's where things land and speaking of the transfer portal let's jump it on down to Oxford where their head coach got a new nickname down there the portal king if you missed it here I'll throw it up on YouTube I mean this was classic Classic Lane Kiffin here throwing out the uh, the Tiger King mock of uh, <laughs> the Ole Miss Rebels. Lane Kiffin dominating the portal, and they've done it with, uh, you know, they've already had a, a number of additions here, but then leading up to National Signing Day, the two big ones, ones that all Rebel fans have been waiting for, Southern Cal quarterback Jackson Dart and Southern Cal tight end Michael Trigg are officially Ole Miss Rebels. And Dart, the quarterback, he's one of the few listed as a five-star transfer prospect by 24-7 Sports. So going to have to do a deep dive on what he brings to the Ole Miss program. But immediately, you got to consider him a front runner to be the starting quarterback there in Oxford. We'll get to uh, Kiffin's comments on that in just a second. But, you know, you don't bring in a, cal a guy of, the of this caliber with the intention of sitting. He's He intends to play, no doubt. Trigg, arguably the top tight end prospect in 
the transfer portal. They also added Georgia Tech defensive end Jared Ivey. Should be a nice little pickup here. And Ole Miss fans are going to love this. Mississippi State receiver Malik Heath caught 71 passes, 749 yards, eight touchdowns the last two seasons for Mike Leach. Now he's flipping sides. Now he's playing for Lane Kiffin. Wants to play for the winning side there in the Egg Bowl rivalry. So those are just some of the many additions that uh, Ole Miss has made via the transfer portal this offseason. They currently have the nation's number two transfer portal class, second only to Southern Cal, so the best in the SEC. And that really bumps up their offseason talent acquisition rankings. And that is something that uh, Lane Kiffin hit on here on the transfer portal and Ole Miss success, how they've been able to do it. And while he's in there, he's going to throw in uh, some shade here for Jimbo Fisher and Texas A&M. Anyway, you just kind of uh, referenced the, the Portal King tweet yesterday that I know you're being playful about, but you've had a lot of success in the in the portal the last two years. Has he gotten to the point where you anticipate going even heavier into the portal with future classes than maybe you would have anticipated a couple of years ago? Well, you know, they make the rules, and I, I just, you know, try to come up with ways to attack them and, and do the best of the situations that they put us in and allow us to be in. So um, I am proud of our staff because I think we, you know, maximized it and, and did a great job, you know, didn't lose very many, um, you know, players that we had that had roles here and added a lot. So, you know, that's kind of like free agency. You know, you don't want to lose a lot, you want to get a lot. So we definitely did that. And, you know, I am proud of that, you know, of our staff just saying, okay, here's the rules that are kind of, you know, <clears throat> in portal and, and trying to figure out throughout the end of the season with all that going on. And, you know, just trying to do it better than anybody else does it. So, you know, and so I'm proud of that. You know, we don't have the same, <clears throat> you know, funding resources as, as some of these schools do you know, to, for these NIL deals. And so it's basically like dealing with different salary caps. We now have a sport that has completely different salary caps. And some of these schools are, you know, whatever, five, 10 times more than everybody else of what they can pay the players. So I know nobody uses those phrases, but that is what it is. So I joked the other day, I didn't know if Texas A&M was gonna occur a luxury tax, you know, and um, how much they paid for their signing class. <laughs> So, yeah, the way I took this the first time I hear it, and I still think this, I mean, I think Lane Kiffin's just having some fun, although this, you know, this is coming up time and time again where he's kind of taking shots at uh, NIL and, and all that's going on. So we'll get to Jimbo. Jimbo goes off in just a second here. But we ain't done talking about uh, Ole Miss and what they brought in via the transfer portal. And here is Lane Kiffin talking about Jackson Dart what he does to the quarterback competition this offseason at Ole Miss. Where does Luke Altmyer, who we saw a couple times last season, including most notably in the Sugar Bowl, he was a true freshman last year in-state, very touted quarterback prospect. Now he's going to have to compete with Jackson Dart. Lane Kiffin's not giving this starting quarterback job to anybody. Lane, obviously one of those big-name transfers is, is Jackson Dart. I know you've had a lot of praise for Luke Altmaier, especially, you know, given the circumstance he was put in, in the Sugar Bowl. Just can you sort of take us through the process of bringing a, a guy of Jackson's caliber in, and, and do you see this as a, an, an open quarterback competition between Luke and, and Jackson? Yeah, and Kincaid Dent's in there. Um, this is a very open competition, and, um, 
you know, just because the social media world and pictures and tweeting and all the stuff that, you know, is now that we do that helps in recruiting, that helps other people, you know, other kids see it, you know, for classes to come, you know, there's a lot of, you know, it's marketing, why we do all of it. That doesn't mean, okay, well, we did all this means Jackson Dart's the quarterback and Luke's not, you know, that just is the marketing world that we're in of the use of social media and especially Twitter. So, um, you know, we're just at trying to add players to positions and, um, you know, either where we didn't recruit well at positions, you know, years ago here, um, or where people have left or gone early to the draft too. So, you know, there's a lot of areas and reasons why you add certain things. So interesting comments there from Lane Kiffin. He's going to make whoever it is earn this job, and that's the right approach to have. So we'll see. You know, I, I think it's great that he even admits, you know, we play up all this on social media as well, as well they should because, uh, you know, you generate positivity, you generate buzz, you get your fan base to start following these guys, and now all of a sudden these guys – can make more money in the NIL. That's all a part of it. It's all part of the plan here. So, hey, we'll see how that affects the the Ole Miss quarterback room. But that ain't the only one. Michael Trigg, the tight end, Kiffin incredibly high on him. And, of course, uh, running back Zach Evans is the first time Lane Kiffin has been able to publicly speak on both of these prospects. Lane, when you look at Michael Trigg as a tight end, he certainly has all the makings to be that dynamic tight end. Um, you know, what do you hope he brings to your offense uh, immediately? Well, he is as good of prospect as you can find from that playing receiver, tight end, mismatch issues. Um, you know, so <clears throat> that, that's awesome. Unique skill set, basketball player. Um, so, you know, now we got to translate that, put it all together um, for him to be that type of player. but. That skill set is there for a dynamic mismatch issue that you've seen around the country at times um, at certain places that only certain people, unless you have unique receiver skills, are able to do at that position. Lane, what are your expectations for, for Zach Evans a lot to replace in that running back room? And are there more pieces or more players you expect to have to contribute there? Yeah, we have some guys here that, that we're excited about. Um, adding Zach to that room. Um, you know, is good because the top three carriers from last year are not here. Um, so, you know, it, it'll be exciting to get everybody in there and get people some chances that haven't had um, a lot. And again, this whole, like everything, this transfer thing is not over. You know, you're going to see a whole nother, you know, until they figure out how to do this better, you're going to see a whole nother group after spring ball uh, that leaves places. So this is an ongoing thing. So. You know, it's kind of like, I mean, I joked about the rankings and, and portal number one, whatever. Obviously, I don't care about rankings. I'm just joking because um, they don't mean a whole lot until you get the production. It's like draft grades. But now you're going to give a draft grade, but yet these things are going to keep going. Like, look at last year. We had a, a starting center right before camp. So uh, you're going to continue to see, see things adjust and rosters adjust all the way up until training camp. Now, this is great and all. You're adding to – so much talent via the transfer portal. Ideally, these guys will come in and ready to play immediately for Ole Miss because they're going to need a lot of these guys to step into key roles, if not starting roles. You know, they've got to still contribute off the bench. I would assume most of these guys are coming in with the intention to start 
for Lane Kiffin in this offense next season. But here's the issue. And it may not even be an issue, but it it's yet to be proven that you can build a consistent, successful team. I'm just talking college football in general, but especially in the SEC, if you're just doing it via the transfer portal, which is basically what Ole Miss did here. Again, number 24 class in the country. I mean, I mean that's, that's not terrible or anything, but in the SEC, again, you're talking the 11th best class in the SEC. So damn near everybody in the SEC has got a better recruiting class than you. Can you consistently do this year after year? Because ideally, some these transfer players, they're going to have one good year, and then they're off to the NFL. Maybe two. Then they're off to the NFL. So again, I'm not saying that this strategy is going to blow up in his face and it's not going to work because hell, Ole Miss didn't get where they were. They didn't get to the Sugar Bowl last year, win 10 games without several key transfer additions to that roster. Can they replicate that success? It's not been proven that you can do it. The portal is such a new thing. You can compound all these additions with new coordinators on both sides of the ball. That makes it even trickier. So I'll you know, I'm not saying that uh, Ole Miss, the fan base, is going to demand 10-win seasons every year from Lane Kiff or anything like that. But, hey, the bar's been set. And now that uh, it it's almost like you're putting all your eggs in the basket of these transfers. Because, what it, you know, these guys are leaving their old school for a reason. And it's not because they're all dying to go play for Lane Kiffin as much as, you know, they may really, really improve their stock playing for Ole Miss Hell. Matt Corral, I didn't think he could play at this level. I think now he's going to be the first quarterback taken in the NFL draft. That's what playing for Lane Kiffin can do for you. So I'm not trying to downgrade Kiffin, but, you know, if this quarterback doesn't hit, if this tight end doesn't hit, this running back doesn't hit, where are we at here with Ole Miss? And do we have quality talent behind him? Because if you do, I don't think you're adding 20 guys via the transfer portal, you know? So, I don't know, you're setting yourself up for you're going to have to do this every year. And maybe it works, and maybe that's why they call him the portal king <laughs> because he's going to have to be if this is their strategy year in and year out with his sitting here complaining about NIL and how we're not going to be able to compete with some schools is what he's talking about. If we can't get elite high school talent, we got to get elite transfer portal talent, but you're going to have to do it every single year, and maybe he can do it. But – That's a hell of a lot easier said than done, in my opinion. So last team we're going to hit on on this episode, Texas A&M Aggies just signed the number one recruiting class of all time, according to the recruiting rankings. You know, what does that really mean? That doesn't buy anything. All these guys got to come in here. They got to develop. They got to work hard. They got to fit in the system. And Jimbo and company have got to make the most out of them. But, of course, you'd rather have the number one class than not. And, What's everybody saying? Oh, $30 million, oil money, Texas A&M just paying for this entire class. Jimbo Fisher was ready for that one. First question asked on National Signing Day. And my God, I mean, he starts cussing here, which I love. I I will, anytime these SEC coaches want to cuss, I'm going to highlight it. And uh, he calls out Nick Saban here. Uh, he does not call out Lane Kiffin or Kirby Smart by name, but he that's this is who he's talking about here. 
He's asked about NIL. He goes off for a good three minutes here. I'm going to just play the whole thing because it's that damn good. But let's kick it over to Jimbo, who uh, you know really takes issue with uh, these people saying that NIL is the only reason that uh, Texas A&M having so much success in recruiting. Uh- no, it's been on your mind. So you stacked t- top ten classes together now for four years in a row. I don't think there was ever even two before that. So do you kind of consider it a slap in the face or whatever when there's these thoughts out there that Very. it's because a lot of money is being spent and just your thoughts? Here's what I'm going to say, and this is point blank. This is point blank to the – because here, here's, here's my problem. There is no $30 million fund. There is no $5 million. There is no 10 This is garbage, okay? And it does. It pisses me off that people – and here it comes from a site called Bro Bible by a guy named Slice Bread. Then everybody runs with it. So it's written on the internet as gospel. How irresponsible is that? You got, I'm gonna tell you some of there's some very reputable writers in college football and sports that wrote it and have said it and have done things. That's unbelievable to me. There's some, I, when I first heard it, I laughed. I said, oh yeah, what a clown. I mean, somebody, I didn't even think anything of it because I don't have social media. And it kept building and lately I've heard more about it. To me, it's insulting to the players that we recruited that that's why they would come here. You ever been to a game here? You ever come to school here and see the education? You ever talk about the 12th man, the Aggie Network, when you're done? There ain't a better university in this country. And it's insulting to what you say. And all these, and we got writers who, who have said it and done it off sliced bread. A guy named Slice, who made it up. Love to see who sliced bread is and put it out there with sliced bread. Let me find out where it comes from. And then to have coaches in our league and across this league to say it, clown acts all right irresponsible as hell multiple coaches in our league and the guys griping about nil griping about transfer portal using it the most and bragging about it the most that's the ironic part you want character i'll trust i'll take it with any y'all it's a joke it does piss me off the other thing when you look at at, at vice president i get another one vice president of notre dame supposed to be a reputable university right that's a heck of a person leading a reputable university I'd be real proud if I hired that guy, read it off sliced bread, but it, it, they say it because it's written on the internet. What are, we worry about the kids and social media and internet. How about grownups? How about the guys that are supposed to be setting an example? How about writers who are supposed to be writing the right thing? How about coaches who are supposed to be doing the right thing? And I'll tell you what, I know how some of those guys recruit too. Go dig into that. I know the history, I know the tradition, I know, and I know things. Trust me, you don't want to go down that avenue. It's ridiculous. And it's irresponsible, and it's unbelievable. And I ain't just talking about one. Multiple people got NIL issues. It's funny, when Nick Saban said his quarterback got an $800,000 deal, it was wonderful. Now it ain't wonderful no more, huh? But ours, at, ours we ain't got that. Ours are on record what comes up. We ain't doing all them big deals. There ain't none on our place that we know of. That's funny when you do it. It's hip- and then we gripe about the transfer portal, then you, take, you guys take more than everybody. What's about that? And what goes on? The hypocrisy is a joke. It's an absolute joke, and it's insulting to, uh, to our staff, how hard we work, to how we do things, and it's insulting to Texas A&M because there ain't a better place to go to school and play ball. If you don't like it, we're coming on. Get used to it. All right? We ain't going nowhere. It, it, it's, it's an absolute joke that people put the hard work in and do it. It's irresponsible, but it's funny when they get it, it's all okay. Ball games are changing, man, and it ain't because of NIL. And what goes on? It's pretty irresponsible of all of them. They're clowns. We'll go next. If they got a problem with it, come see me. I ain't a hard guy to find. We'll be in some meetings. You can say anything you want. We can do anything you want.
I ain't got no problem with it. I promise you that shit. Damn. <laughs> All right. So, I mean, again, this was, I mean, he was ready for this one. And he's getting some thoughts off his mind here, without a doubt, fired up. But, you know, at the end of the day, all this stuff's legal. And I think his point being is Nick Saban and Kirby Smart, they can do this too. And what they were doing before, they can't do it anymore. And he's talking about buying players illegally. He, They're buying players legally. And everybody can do it. But that can't be the sole reason that you come to the school. I think that's what other people have issue, taken issue with this recruiting class by Texas A&M. And I certainly don't think it's any coincidence that Texas and Texas A&M particularly, I mean, they're going head-to-head on a lot of kids. They both had top five recruiting classes. I think Texas A&M, we all know Texas is headed to the SEC soon. We don't know when just yet, but the Aggies have got to stay above the Longhorns to make sure that uh, you know the their ability, the rise of that program since joining the SEC. You get that head start. They're they're light years ahead of Longhorns right now. They got to stay above above them, and that's is that it chiefly includes recruiting. So I certainly think NIL was a part of these classes, but is it the sole reason? No, because I know a lot of the guys that A and M got. They were getting NIL offers at these other schools. So. It's not like they're getting blown out of the water and A&M's the only one doing this. <laughs> I just love the fact that Jimbo's out here calling out sliced bread and <laughs> I still haven't quite figured out who old sliced bread is. Maybe we can get him on the show to get his side of the story. But, you know, it is wild because he's sitting here, you know, Nick Saban, it, he's telling everybody Bryce Young's making a million dollars. He hasn't even played down. What the hell was that all about? That was about recruiting. And I've already had Alabama fans come at me like, hey, you dumbass, he was at Alabama already. It wasn't about recruiting Bryce Young. Nick Saban put that out there at a Texas high school coaches event the day before SEC media days. So he knew he would maximize exposure. He knew everybody in the country was going to be writing about Bryce Young and how much money he's playing. He's getting paid at Alabama, and he hadn't even taken a damn snap. Just imagine what you could get. You can come to Alabama. I mean, let's not be fools here. And that is exactly what Jimbo is calling out where, Hey, it's fine if your quarterback's making a million dollars, but it's not fine if we utilize the NIL, which is perfectly legal to do. And now we're beating you on the recruiting trail. You're just bitching and moaning because we beat you in recruiting. And I know Nick Saban, Kirby smart, Jimbo Fisher, they take his shit to heart, all these recruiting battles. So, That's why you're seeing Fisher getting so heated here because he's not doing anything that those other schools can't be doing, but they're bitching and moaning because they're falling behind in the recruiting worlds and lost so many recruiting battles to the Aggies this year. Now, moving on again to A&M's class, I think the most important part of what the Aggies have done, I mean, they got loads and loads of talent coming here, but this defensive line, just such a critical critical component of a championship caliber team. And that is something that Jimbo Fisher hit on references uh, the San Francisco 49ers, which I'm still sticking. That still stings because I'm a green Bay fan, but uh, let's play this clip anyway. Coach with uh, the the three uh, five-star defensive linemen, I know a lot of it starts with defensive line for you. How important was that uh, part of the, the, the guys who can control the game, the guys who put their hand in the dirt are the guys that matter. 
And that, I mean, as far as can change the game immediately. And it gives you so much freedom. If you've got legitimate guys all the way across the board that can't create double teams and pass rush, can't create big double teams and run, they're getting a lot of one-on-ones, and you don't have to be vulnerable in the secondary to create. Now, you can also blitz and create unbelievable packages, but it lets you the multitude of things you have up front when you can control the front, just like San Francisco did. I mean, you watch San Francisco's front in the playoffs. They were unbelievable how they did things up front and in their secondaries and limited how great defense they played. And we, we hopefully we've got them, the big guys across the board, the ends on the edge, the athleticism, the size, the power, the guys, the multitude of positions they can play, be moved around and matched up. Very excited about every one of them. Extremely excited. And last thing here on the recruiting, I thought these were two interesting nuggets here that Jimbo went into here on just the fact that this class was largely put together by the players recruiting each other. They, you know, I think that is instrumental to these elite, elite recruiting classes. And it's something we heard time and time again from a lot of these guys being recruited by the Yankees. You know, they really wanted to play together and do this together and put A&M over the top. And don't forget, I mean, this, people look at it as this last season, Aggies, would they lose five games? This season, four games, five, four games, whatever the hell it was. And they look, well, how in the hell are you getting number one recruiting class? That's not how the recruiting calendar works. It's typically the year previous when you're really, really getting these foundational, these relationships and the offseason all to work on them. And Texas A&M was the nation's second best team two seasons ago when they only had one loss and it was to Alabama, should have went to the college football playoff. We don't have to relitigate all that happened. But this signing class, it was, you know, the foundation was laid that season when you were in the elite class. And Texas A&M, I believe they've averaged a number four ranked recruiting class since Jimbo Fisher's been there. Uh, I'm not counting the class he got when he's got about two weeks to put it together. I'm talking about the classes that he's had at least a year to work on. So this ain't out of the blue where Ole Miss – you know, signing all these five stars, and they had <laughs> nowhere near that uh, capability. I mean, this is this is completely different. So that's something that Jimbo also hit on, just being centrally located in the country, being surrounded by so much talent in the state of Texas, and their ability to go nationwide to get these kids. Uh, and I thought that was pretty interesting. How? Uh, um, at what point, uh, you know, this this class is going to be the highest ranked class in the history. At what point did you kind of realize that this was a special class? And and my second question is, you know, when I know it's a special class, I'll, let me answer it one before you ask your second one. It is this: they recruited each other every bit that we recruited them. We were coming off that nine and one year, and I thought we were the second best team in this country going in. I really did. Should have been in the playoff. All right, we weren't. Okay, we lived it. Those kids saw that. We went in here. And the atmosphere and environments in that stadium last year was there. Is there a better place to go watch a game? The Alabama game, even the, even the game we lost Mississippi State, the atmosphere, environments, early games, the Auburn game, the South Carolina game, those games, and they were here seeing that, you know what I'm saying? And they knew they wanted to be a part of something. They wanted to be the first to do something somewhere. They recruited each other as much as we recruited them. There was a bond between those guys and a unity that those guys went together and said, you know something? In football, it takes all of us to win a championship. That's what we want to do. And I think that was a big part of this whole scenario of how it did and how it went together. And, and – and I know that you uh, you mentioned that, that uh, talking about the early signing period and that you, you said you'd even like to have it in August. How I'll ask you my annual question about being centrally located to, I think, five of the largest 13 cities in the nation, but then also being able to go outside the state's borders 
as yep. well. When you count, we have eight different states and two different countries. So that's, I guess that's nine outside. And listen, we want, we're going to recruit. Listen, we're in as good a recruiting base as there is in the country. Why shouldn't we have the number one class? Houston, the player, I mean, those guys can't drive up an hour and come to school here. I guess that's illegal, huh? <laughs> I mean, and what they do, Houston, I mean, Houston is a tremendous city. Dallas, San Antonio, the Austin area, the East Texas. I mean, there's not better situation. And we're going to recruit all those kids that we possibly can, that we, we can get, we can win national championships with, we can win SEC championships with, can be pro players and won all that. But then also, guys have always come into Texas and taken players. We have to go nationally. You're in a, you're in a global world right now. The ability to go to Florida, to go to Georgia, to go to Mississippi, to go to, to go to New Jersey or go to Pennsylvania, go to Tennessee. They're all in our footprint. And you come here, the education you get, quality of life, go watch a ball game in there like they said. They never, none of those guys seen a ball game like that. Or not, not just the Alabama game, every week they come to. Our 12th man and our fans are not better in the country in what they do. And for us, we have to go out and be able to, as I say, cheer up and take the top players across the country that fit in here that, that make us the program we can be. And we're very happy. And it's amazing now that we are branding ourselves nationally. When kids get here, they fall in love with the place. I mean, it, it's, you listen to them what they talk and the relationships they have. And let me tell you something. A&M, I say it 100 times, the people is the key to A&M. All these buildings, all this, it ain't that. It's the people. The relationships that are here, the genuineness is here, and the sincerity that is here in this organization. And this is, this, these are 50-year commitments, not four- or five-year commitments. The Aggie, that, that, you're in that Aggie family, you're in it for life. And that's what it's about. And for us to be able to go out and do that is tremendous. And people come here, they love it. It's an absolute blessing. Like I said, we got eight states, and then we went across the country and found one. All right, I think he came over here and found us when he came to camp. But uh, amazing guys. And, see, I mean, those guys, it's, it's blessed, and we're going to continue to do that. But, we, listen, we want the homegrown guys as much as we possibly can because there's great football here. But we also got to get the best players in this country. And then last thing here, we've uh, not heard from Jimbo since they hired DJ Durkin, but little window into uh, what he was thinking with hiring DJ Durkin and how uh, the Aggies, the, the plan on the defensive side of the ball will remain largely the same with defensive coordinator DJ Durkin. And then I believe we haven't talked to you since the uh, the hiring of, of DJ Durkin and then the promotions in, in the staff as well. I've been very excited about that. I mean, DJ Durkin, I think, brings a lot to the table. He and, he and Tooch, Coach Santucci, uh, being co-coordinators with this. And we're going to stay as a four-down team. We're going to keep the things in which we do, and we will add new packages with the new coordinators coming in that create some things and no huddle and third downs and different things that we'll have and we'll always constantly add. And I think we have two great guys. We kept the great staff intact, which I believe is one of the best staffs in college football offensively, things in which we do. And then Elijah moving up assistant head coach and uh, run game coordinator. Promotions, he's done what he's done. He's done a great job. And our whole staff. I mean, other guys get promotions. There will be a lot of them that you know we want to do that with. Can't get everybody at once. Um, offensively, uh, James Coley will move as a co-coordinator with us on offense and what goes on. He'll also be on offense. I think he's done a great job in recruiting in the future of our game and knows this. And he and uh, our offensive staff, you know, we'll do him and Daryl will work closely together in what we do and stay in that relationship and, and where we go and what we do. And I think we got some great guys. Uh, Coach Adazio coming in, uh, awesome guy I've known for a long time. I mean, he, he, when he was at Florida, when he was at – Boston College, when he was at Temple, I mean, tremendous line coach. I, th I thought as good as anywhere, any time, the guys I played against, I always thought these guys were hard, tough, competitive, smart, but were really prepared to play the game and understood how to compete and understood the ins and outs of protection and run stuff, and I think does as good a job as anybody, and we're very blessed to have him. And plus, you got another head coach on staff that, you know, and other guys have been like Daryl and some other guys have been head coaches. And, you know, it's really good. All right, so, hey, man, this show's already going long and really only got to talk about, uh, you know, three teams, really, and what's been going on across 
the SEC. We will get to a number. We got a number of press conferences to get it to, a number of interviews this week. Hopefully, that we get some insight across the SEC. We're going to be staying on this Auburn story, of course. What's been going on with Brian Harson? We're going to try to go back to five shows this week because there's so much content. So stay tuned. The rest of the action. We, I mean, we got Nick Saban, we got Shane Beamer, we got Eli Drinkowitz, we got Kirby Smart. Uh, we've got so many other coaches in their comments to break down, and we'll, that'll be on the rest of the week. So don't think I'm, I'm ignoring all y'all, but hell, we're going on an hour here, and just so much news to capture what we missed from the vacation week. But hey, and hopefully, as long as he's not still hungover, we'll get Cousin Shane on the line here for an episode this week, hopefully. So hey, that's going to do it for this episode of the show. Great to be back. I appreciate each and every one of you for hanging out. We'll catch you on the next one.